Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Cindy Shupak is the author of We Waited For You, Now We're a Family but so much more than this because I have been following Cindy for many, many, many years. Here's more about her. A prolific storyteller across many mediums, Cindy Shupak is best known for her work as a writer-producer of shows including Sex and the City, Modern Family, Everybody Loves Raymond, Better Things, and most recently, Fleischman is in Trouble. We Waited for You, Now We're a Family is her first picture book, but she has authored two comic memoirs, the New York Times bestseller, The Between Boyfriends book, a collection of cautiously hopeful essays, which by the way, is in my bookshelf and I have had for almost 20 years since it came out and loved it, and also The Longest Date, Life as a Wife 
Born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Cindy received a journalism degree from Northwestern University and now lives in Marina del Rey, California with her 12-year-old daughter, Olivia, and their ridiculously cute puppy, Millie. Welcome, Cindy. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to read books, to discuss all of your books. You were just at Zibby's bookshop for your new children's book. I've been like a lifelong fan of Between Boyfriends, now the longest date life as a wife. I'm just a fan across the board. So thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. You've had so many of my favorite authors. I feel excited to be in the company of all of them. Oh, <laughs> well, your Between Boyfriends book has literally moved with me from whenever it came out so many times. I've been through divorce and remarriage and this book just keeps coming with me no matter where. <laughs> so it's like a little talisman. Thank you. <laughs> I need a way to display like a bookshelf of audiobooks because I'm always driving mm. in and I listen to a ton. And I especially love ones read by the author, but I've been listening to Samantha Irby's latest one. I love it. And I'm so obsessed with her and she's working on and just like that with some friends of mine. So yes, I said, that's right. That's right. Tell her I'm obsessed with her. And then I guess she said that she had my Between Boyfriends book, which made Aww. me so happy. Because <laughs> authors that I read when I was just starting out, like Cynthia Heimel and Meryl Marco, mm -hmm. Nora Ephron, I mean, that wrote essays about relationships that inspired me. And it's just exciting to me, like the sort of continuum. Because I feel like Samantha's work now is inspiring me back, but oh. it's nice to be part of that. <laughs> Great. That's so great. Well, start out by talking a little bit about your children's book, because I know your children's book is is your most recent and loved the whole story. And that, of course, is sort of the update on where you are with your own life as, as we followed you through all of your essay writing and career and everything. So maybe start there and we can work backwards a little bit. Okay. We Waited for You was a children's book I wrote. A, I It actually, children's book production takes so long. I had no idea. And I think mine took longer than, than usual, but I wrote it because when I was first, I adopted Olivia and The Longest State Life as a Wife is very much about being married later in life and wanting to have a child, but just having to go through all the things that they told us we would have to go through, but you're not, you're like, la, la, la. <laughs> so all the fertility stuff and then trying egg donor and then finally adoption. And it was such a long and hard process. And I wrote that book, The Longest Date Life as a Wife, because I felt like there was nothing out there that was sort of honest, but funny about that whole process. And I really could have used that. And it also... I think puts, you know, you have friends who are pregnant, who are having babies. Some of my friends who are having trouble really had a trouble with that. I felt like I'm going to just be happy for everyone. And it's not a zero sum game, but it's hard when you're waiting. And so it took like five or six years to have her. And then I realized that there's a little bit of a guilt that you tried other things first. <laughs> Once you do have your child, you know, you don't really talk about that because you don't want to say like, I, you know, we tried for years to have a biological child because I, of course, love my daughter, Olivia, wouldn't want any other child. But I did feel like there was sort of a weird empty space for parents who'd been through that. When you finally have your child, you want to be able to express like, oh my gosh, we waited for you for so long. Like we went through so much to get you and we moved mountains. And so it's kind of about that. It's celebrating a child who comes into a family, no matter how, for all different kinds of families, whether the child's adopted or gay parents or single parents, or, you know, just the process of like what it meant to get this child. And so I wanted to write that. And part of why I wanted to write it was I was at her preschool and there was a tradition where on a child's birthday, you took a book from the library and you read it to them in front mm -hmm. of the class. And we picked one like the day you were born or something. And 
it was all like you were in my tummy and <laughs> it didn't have anything to do with her. And I felt like I'm reading in front of these kids. I don't know exactly how to go. This is an episode. So I was thinking there should be a book like that. And that's, there are some about adoption, like Jamie Lee Curtis has great ones. Mm-hmm. About but there's nothing that kind of covers a spectrum of however a child came to you, whether by, you know, in your tummy or, cause it's all the same once you have the child. So just a little um, rhyming ode to that journey. And to Aww. help realize they, you know, were worth waiting for. Oh, it's so beautiful. And it took me, um, I mean, I won't go into my own journey here, but a very long time to have my third kid. I had twins and then we had this big, big gap. So I always try to tell her, you know, like you just, this is just the way it was supposed to be. Like right when yeah. we came up, like there you came, we were waiting for you. We did, You weren't ready to come. Like, you yeah. know, try to like exactly. change who was in charge, you know, like <laughs> just these kids just waiting to find us and it has nothing to do with us and we're just hanging out over here. So, it's true. It's just like, <laughs> you know, the right kid, the right time. Yeah. And I like the idea. There's a few illustrations in here. They're like families waiting for another child because yes. I knew yes. parents going through that same thing. And it's just as hard, like when you really want another child and have to wait. Oh, well, your book is beautiful. The illustrations are beautiful. The whole message. Oh my gosh. So when you say it took forever to write, to come out or the process was slow. So when did you first write it? And like how long until now? Like what happened in between? She turned into a tween. <laughs> I mean, she's still really adorable and loving and excited about this book. She came with me to your bookstore for the yes, reading. Yeah, 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 I remember. Yeah, she likes being part of this story of this book. But she was, I mean, I think she was young enough to still be reading picture books when I, when I wrote it. Mm-hmm. And then just the process of, it actually was somebody at Sourcebooks liked it pretty early on, but then it just took a long time to get an illustrator because they have like 18 months and if they're booked up and then somebody fell through and then, yeah. like, and since I do film and TV, you know, I just felt like, you know, lots of things can happen in a couple of years in television. You can get a lot of people and make all things. And even though I love this story, like it came pretty fast. It's not a whole lot of text and it's kind of a poem. So I felt like, okay, I wrote it. Someone can just draw something and let's get this out there. But, but it's a long process. And I've now learned kind of how they work with illustrators and authors is, you know, you're on a separate track. So I didn't talk to the illustrator during, only mm-hmm. after. and they do that to really respect the illustrator's process as well as the author's yours separately. They're working with you, giving you notes. They have sort of a, you know, a vision for it. So unless you come in with an illustrator, I think that's kind of typical and respectful to let the illustrator do their thing to add to your book. So one plus one equals three, but I finally got to know her afterward, Emily Hamilton, and I really love her. And it was fun to hear how she responded to the text when she first got it and how I felt about her. That's sweet. I actually wrote a children's book, but I've never even met my illustrator. Right? Yeah. She seems, I've met her on Zoom. She seems lovely. (laughs) Yeah, same with me. She's in England. I know it's a strange process that you're not collaborating, but maybe people who don't collaborate for a living, like I feel like maybe that would be harder because maybe some authors would be very precious. Yeah, actually. Maybe there's a reason why they don't let everybody... There is. I know. I I have it on my website of cindychupak.net, but there was a Zoom I did with the illustrator and also a children's book agent who really explained that, you know, that it's a very respectful process and that's why, so that you don't, you know, influence what they're doing. Amazing. Sorry, I didn't watch that. I can go back and watch. No, no, that's okay. (laughs) Well, let's talk about the longest date life as a wife, because you start out in such a, I mean, you're so funny about everything that even though you can tell maybe it was sad at the time, or maybe it wasn't, I don't know, but the way you write about everything is just, 
Hilarious. So your first marriage, your husband ended up being gay and then having another family. And you have this hilarious essay about getting a get, which I'm Jewish went through a divorce. I get it. I, you know, I get it, but I I get the get chapter, but you write about all of that and all your life phases and falling in love with the guy who you weren't supposed to fall in love with and (laughs) showing us time and again, why, and then being able to highlight even great things about him, even though you're like constantly running into someone he had to threesome with or things like that. Funny. <laughs> that <laughs> happened there the story of, uh, cause we used to say like, I, it was always like, is there going to be someone at this wedding you slept with? And one time he said, well, the bride doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> 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 So funny. Oh my gosh. And I love that even on this relationship, you start off on such equal footing and you're, well, not, I mean, maybe not even equal, but when you have him over and you're like, well, I have a really nice house. And he's like, I have a nice place too. And then he's, he's something like he said, I'm, you know, I'm worried about leaving you. And you were like, well, I I could be the one who's leaving you. You know, I love the confidence and sort of where you meet in life. And anyway, tell me a little more about writing this book and how you feel about it now, given everything. I know it's interesting because we're divorced now and I feel like all the stories were a little better. They ended, you know, <laughs> but still we love each other. And now we're divorced. I was thinking that Every relationship that goes wrong, you should end up with a child from it because of course I'm like happy that we were married because I got Olivia from it and all the experiences and, you know, but you can't say that about every relationship you have. I got some good musical taste, but anyway, how I feel about it, I still stand by, like, I think when I wrote it, I kind of said, there was something in the intro, I think, where he said, this is going to be kind of ironic if we don't stay together. And I was, if you talk about how great our relationship is, and I said, it's not going to be about how great our relationship is, because I really wanted to show the hard things about mm-hmm. being together and that whole opposites attract. I'm not sure that is a formula for success <laughs> as you get older. But anyway, I really wanted to write about marriage the way that we wrote about dating on Sex in the City and be just as open. Mm-hmm. And I same attitude about writing about infertility, you know, because I feel like people kind of close ranks when they get married. It's like, no matter how much you used to be able to joke about your boyfriends and your hardships, like you're married now, you can't, it's, you know, you're not supposed to talk. I guess I like writing about things you're not, you're not supposed to talk about. So (laughs) I wanted to write about the different, you know, the hardships you have sometimes, like if the woman makes more money or has habits you don't like, or the exes and Mm -hmm. Also, what we went through, the fertility stuff, which actually did bring us closer together. I know it breaks up couples, but that is not, that's not what broke us up. (laughs) But he just, he, you know, he wanted to adopt from Africa and I wanted to adopt from China at one point. (laughs) Like we just were in different breakout groups at the, at the sessions. And then we finally decided to adopt domestically, but it was a lot of negotiation and you're talking about a child and then other people have opinions too. Like, you know, there's been a giant, you know, humanitarian problem in Haiti, you should adopt from there. And like all of a sudden everyone's got ideas of where it's like you're buying a car or something. Right. <laughs> so, so it was, I wanted to just be able to write about all that. And my first book, the Between Boyfriends book came after I had a column in Glamour called Dating Dictionary, where I had like punny little terms for each stage. And the editor I worked with was great about helping me kind of figure out to start from breakup to your next boyfriend. So I had a lot of those essays beforehand. And then once we came up with that structure, 
it kind of became clear, okay, I need more essays in here for during the breakup or while you're dating or when you're recovering. So that was a really fun book. And that's kind of how I've written my books of essays is just in little bite-sized pieces. A chapter can be about something, but they don't all have to become you know, a giant opus on your life. <laughs> and that one, it still seems very beloved by people, like you said, and I'm really proud of it. But I felt like The Longest Date went a little deeper and did try to make more of a linear narrative about the process of like waiting to have a child and getting married later in life and that what that presents. Yes. No, it was great. And I'm so glad. It's nice when as a reader, you can go through all these things, like that we can go through it together, essentially, even though we don't know each other or now we know each other. But I have all these authors who I'm like, okay, they just went through that. And now I'm going to go through that. And it's yeah. like a guidepost through life, so to speak. Yeah. And sometimes you write about something like I actually wrote a movie that is sort of slowly coming true. I know when I was working on Sex in the City and we wrote about Charlotte's infertility problems, I hadn't gone through it yet. Oh, wow. And then looking back at it, it was like, yeah, that was pretty hard. I mean, none of us had gone through with that yet when we were writing about, but we knew people who were going through it. But yeah, there's things you write about that happen. Yeah, it's interesting. It does feel like you're going through it with people. And I like that these books can be for a period of life so that it's not like only right now, like as somebody mm-hmm. gets married or is thinking of getting married or as someone is having a child, these are kind of when you break up again, you go back. <laughs> I will say even my children's book, I felt like, cause I, when I wrote it, we were married and it was just a amicable, like we just kind of grew apart. There was nothing, no drama. And it's been great. Actually, Olivia's, I feel like I should write something about, you know, it wasn't as traumatic for Olivia. I was prepared for the, like, she's going to cry and beg us to stay together. And she knows she was only, I guess she was, I want to say eight when we broke up. But she had friends whose parents had divorced and it was more logistical for her. Like, so when at dad's place, can I have a bunk bed? And (laughs) and yeah, it's been, it was interesting. I think our baggage about what is going to be hard for a child to understand isn't necessarily what they, you know, they're not going to have those issues. And I think I'm proud that we could show her that we could still be happy and that we still want love and that we're, you know, we can be friends and be amicable, but if you're not, you should really still be madly in love with your partner or find someone else who makes you happy. So I'm glad to be modeling that. It's not going great, but <laughs> I was like, I want to hear what's going on with you. Like today, like where, you know, where are you, where are, I, the, are you going to keep? I was just right. I've just written this long essay about it. That's made me think I need to write a new book. And I've been listening to like Samantha Irby and Nora Ephron. I feel bad about my neck. Like I was in a relationship after my divorce that I was one of those pep talks. Like Cindy met a guy on a plane between New York and LA and had this amazing bi-coastal relationship. And he bought this farmhouse and we were drinking out of big goblets. It was like we were in this Nancy Myers movie or something. <laughs> this was for the whole pandemic. And I was so deliriously happy. And then... I just found out right the day after the writer's strike that he had been having an affair for two and a half of those three years with his housekeeper. And I'm like, is (laughs) she contacted me on Facebook and, uh, and she said, uh, (laughs) and she sent me these texts between them where she said, I thought it was just me and Cindy. And he said, it is just you and Cindy. And I was like, what's happening? And I'm laughing now, but it's been very traumatic. And I was like, I don't know if I can keep doing this, but I will somehow, but it was rough. So I feel like I went from like the inspiring tale to a cautionary tale. And I also feel like, why am I still 
going through this at this age. And I've written about dating forever. I should know what I'm doing. But anyway, so it's been, I've been knocked for a loop. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. On the other hand, you keep getting all this material. Do you know I, I was a little bit out of material. I will say, I was like, you know, when you're happy, there's not much, much to write about. And I'm like, okay, well, thank you universe. Oh my gosh. I cannot believe that happened. I cannot believe it <laughs> either. It's really been rough. And people say, I hope it doesn't make you question and you're probably going back through it and thinking, how did I not know? But no, he was really very like compartmentalized about this. So there weren't any signs. I don't, and I don't feel like I don't trust men now because it was really hard to pull off. (laughs) I feel like not many men could do this. (laughs) So I don't know how I feel, but anyway, I've, yeah, I'm back to my between boyfriends. Wow. Oh my gosh. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, the interior monologue that you have and that you share with others is like, this sounds hokey to say it's a gift, but seriously, I mean, as you've seen with the popularity of Sex and the City and all the things you've written, there is something about how you write that just completely strikes a chord. It's this mix of like self-deprecation and the relatable things and saying the things, as you said, that people don't want to say out loud, even if it's, (laughs) you know, not wanting to take care of a sick boyfriend or just things (laughs) that like you worry, oh, people will judge me for this. And you just go out and say them. And it is so refreshing and awesome. This is like why you were here or something to have all these crazy things happen to you. Uh, the piece that I'm writing, it's kind of a travel piece because I had a past lives reader once tell me that I hadn't had a good relationship since ancient Greece. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I knew it was a slump, but that was like between 
And then when I got married, I was like, I did it. Because she said, your job in this lifetime is to learn to love and be loved. And I felt like I did it when I got married. And I felt like I did it with this last boyfriend. So when we broke up, I was looking for somewhere to go. And I found this like Healing Hotels of the World website. And the one that really spoke to me, I was making a reservation. I'm like, it's in Greece. It was like in, in the shadow of this ancient town of Greece. In the movie, I guess I should have met someone there. But really, it was just healing and like good to be there. But I was like, okay, I knew what I was doing when I was here (laughs) once before. But I feel like, yeah, like I'm not sure how many lessons, but I do like, I mean, it's therapeutic for me too, to write about when things don't go your way. I think it's like therapeutic for me to write and it's therapeutic to hear people relate. And, you know, that's why I'm doing it. But I think that makes you feel like part of a community. You're not so alone with these feelings. So true. I want to read the essay. Is it? Did you sell it somewhere yet? Is it coming out? Well, it's funny because I, I sold it to L.com so I would have more space because it's online. As I've been listening to Samantha Irby's, I'm like, she writes the longest, greatest essays you could listen forever. And that's the thing about, I guess I've done a lot of cross-training with writing because I like to write TV and film, but also books and sometimes magazine columns or tell a story for the moth. And they all have different lengths. But when you write an essay that could be in a book, it can be as long as you want. And I wrote this piece. I worked with an editor who's kind of over all of Hearst, Ryan D'Agostino, who I love, and he helped me place it. And we sold it to L.com. But I wrote it. He said, write it as long as you want. And my first version was like 9,000 words. It's supposed to be like two. And then we cut it down to five. So I'm hoping the editor will just let it run at that length because I feel like it should be at least that. Anyway, I'll send you the 9,000 word one. Oh my God, I would love it. Seriously, I would absolutely love it. This is completely not true. I feel like now I'm like entitled to the updates. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm holding the book, like waving it around. Like, okay, well, you shared all that, which of course is... Oh, I was going to say, so we waited for you. My tour was basically your bookshop. I really did not do a whole lot of... (laughs) <laughs> a lot of publicity, but I'm still so happy it's out. And I was like talking to the publicist and I said, is it going to be weird? Cause I'm not married anymore. It was, we, should it be I now? Now I feel a little weird. She said, you know, people are not expecting this to be autobiographical like your memoirs. Like they're not interviewing you going, you, why aren't you OE still? Anyway, I still think of it like the whole extended family, yes. but yeah, I think it's not, I have to sometimes separate the work from it's hard to, but yeah, just go. It still stands. These things still stand. <laughs> so do you still believe in love? Yeah, that's a good question. For everybody else, <laughs> I, it's so easy for me to, for everybody else, I'm always that cheerleader, like you're still, it's not over yet. You know, I think I believe in it for me, but I think I, I guess in the movie version, this is the time where I'm supposed to like be alone for a while. I think I've had a lot of boyfriends and maybe I haven't been alone enough. And I'm really being a great mom right now with the strike and being without a boyfriend. (laughs) I'm like in it. I am in school. I feel like a dad feels when they drive their kid to school. Like, look at me, I'm going to school and I'm the dad. Now I'm like, look, I'm here. I'm at the PTA. I'm volunteering. (laughs) So I'm trying to just be a good mom. And I actually wrote one. I've been writing a little more travel pieces. And I wrote one about going to Ojai with a tween, traveling with a tween. And 
I really wanted to, this movie I wrote, it ended with, I had always wanted to see the Northern Lights. And my last boyfriend, we had this bucket list and we were going to do these things together. And I'm really determined right now, like, I'm going to go see the Northern Lights with Olivia, like my, with my daughter. I'm not waiting for like the perfect boyfriend to go on this romantic, expensive trip. Like, I just want to do it. And she says it's on her bucket list, even though she's 12. <laughs> she has a bucket list. <laughs> so I'm kind of like in a place of that's love too, you know? Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine, I recently, I had a surgery and I had a friend come in and I said, it feels weird not to have a partner in my life right now for these kind of things, like mm-hmm. in case of emergency. I know we did that on Sex in the uh, City, but suddenly yeah. I'm like, who the hell is my in case of emergency person anymore? But anyway, my friend said, you have a million people who love you. You have so many friends. Just Mm -hmm. none of them are a man right now. (laughs) And it really was good to remember that you're not like suddenly alone because your relationship ended. You still have all these people in your life. And I still have Olivia. And, you know, it's still, there's still a lot of love in my life. So I'm going to just try to keep living my best life, but I'm not going to try as hard right now. People go, oh, you can get online and date. And I'm like, I have done that so many times already. (laughs) I've already sewed my oats I I when I was divorcing people were divorcing who'd married like that had been their whole life and they were like I can finally date and I was like oh my god I did so much dating. <laughs> and I'm dating again and I will be dating again like it's sort of like it's not a novelty yeah <laughs> but I'm still I guess I would have to say I'm still hopeful there's something in me that still feels because even now I'm like Maybe if I'm not looking, which of course is hopeful. Right. I know. I'm going to pretend I'm not looking. Yeah. I'm going to try to fool myself that I'm not really looking right now. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking though, I might be at the stage where like maybe fix-ups are the way to go. There mm-hmm. is a new crop of men at this age because people have divorced and died. There was a period where there was no one. And now there's kind of a new group of men. And I feel like maybe fix-ups are the thing to do at this age because everybody comes kind of pre-screened and they've already been through a relationship. Your friends know. So yeah, that might be that's true. Fun. There are a lot of people who do have someone to put on a, in case of emergency who they can't stand or <laughs> that they feel so alone even in a they're relationship. They're not sure they're going to be good in an emergency. Yeah. Or they're like, <laughs> what are these people? They're going to like shut me off. They're going to like be like, turn this thing off now. <laughs> like maybe I should pick someone else. But I'm just just, my dad was, he died this summer. I feel like I'm such a But it, it's, we had a, a tricky relationship. But anyway, my sister was his medical power of attorney. And I mean, I, Wait, I'm his medical power of attorney. My sister was his financial power of attorney. Anyway, my sister, not so great in this situation. Like she was really, and she's my medical power of attorney. And I was like, I think I'm getting a new one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just kept reevaluating and remaking no matter what the, but my dad, who wasn't all that happy in life, he said he wanted extraordinary measures taken. So it was like, weird. so she, even though I was in charge, was really like, he wants everything possible done. So it was good to have a test run with the person who's going to be in charge of your plug yes. <laughs> to see them around someone else. Because <laughs> I was like, you know what? I don't know. I'm going to maybe go with your husband. <laughs> you have to write that too. If you haven't already. Use it. <laughs> the new book in my head, at least. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I'll set you up if I have the right person. I'm going to be okay. like setting you up now that, that now my mind is like going, but of course that's not the point. The point is you've got all this stuff. <laughs> it's relatable. It's funny. It's sad. It's hard. One time you're crying, one time you're laughing and that is life, right? This is, this is it. This You're like in it. 
And your writing just makes everybody feel and feel okay about whatever they're going through. And so I'm sorry for all of the stuff that is not pleasant <laughs> and unbelievable, but thank, thank you for continuing to share. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for what you do. You've had so many of my favorite people. In fact, you had Betsy Carter on who yes. she ran. Okay. I brought it down. New York Woman Magazine. Were you, you were probably too young. I no, think. I'm not too young. I'm okay. not too young. She had this magazine and I was the first piece I ever wrote was one of their back page essays. Oh my gosh. It's in between boyfriends, but the only in New York, but she published it and that started everything for me. So I still feel, I loved that magazine. It was such a good magazine and it had such good humor. And that back page was always, you know, like Marcel Clemens, really smart female writers who inspired me. So yeah, I was part of that conversation of like, oh, that's the kind of writing I could do. Betsy Carter is one of the only authors I knew growing up. And so I would always ask her questions because my parents just didn't know that many writers. And so she was always someone. And when I was trying to write my first novel, when I was like 25, 26, I would send her drafts and she was so nice to me. And so having her on the podcast was such a full circle for me. And now the fact that you wrote for her, I mean, it's just, you know. I heard you say that on the podcast, how she was part of the reason I was thinking she was part of the reason I'm writing too. That article started everything. Oh my gosh. So funny. Well, congratulations on all of your work and thank you for coming on and thanks for the copies and, and all of it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Okay. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of moms don't have time to read books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at moms don't have time to read books. Also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.